Welcome to John Banks' Civil War blog podcast. And we're coming to you from beautiful downtown Nashville. And tonight, we're going to get right to it. Our guest is going to be Jim Kay, president of the newly renamed Battle of Nashville Trust, which used to be the Battle of Nashville Preservation Society. And we're going to talk all things Battle of Nashville tonight. Of course, the Battle of Nashville was fought December 15th and 16th. 1864. It was a crushing Confederate defeat that hastened the demise of the Confederacy. Jim, are you there? I'm here, John. Thank you. Beautiful. Well, Jim, I thought we'd kick it off. Why why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about you and what you do in your real life, and then we'll talk about the Battle of Nashville Trust. Well, thanks so much for having me on tonight. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, I'm a Nashville native, uh, grew up on the battlefield, lived not far from where I grew up, and I'm still right in the heart of the second day of fighting. I'm a uh, lawyer and mediator and arbitrator in my uh, job-paying life and a Battle of Nashville historian in the other hours of the day that I can find to uh, devote to this not only hobby but passion. Oh, yeah. Now, Jim, full disclosure, I'm on the board of the battle. I'm a new board member of the Battle Nashville Trust. Which is great. Which I enjoy very much. Um, I've lived in Nashville for about two years. I've really enjoyed visiting the nooks and crannies of the battlefield. And Jim and I are going to talk about the nooks and crannies here in a second. But first, the Battle of Nashville Trust used to be the Battle of Nashville Preservation Society. So, yes. so, so why don't you tell us a little bit about the organization, Jim, and what it does? Well, in 1993, Wes Schaffner and Ross Massey felt that something needed to be done to preserve what little was left of the Nashville battlefield and, and really get this battle on the maps of American history. Uh, there were efforts in the 1920s to do that and uh, preserve part of the battlefield. It did not work and faded. And so Ross and West started this in 1993. And we have grown this today to a much larger organization. But those two gentlemen were the impetus behind where we are today. So, Jim, what does the trust do? What's its, what's its role in preserving the, what's little left of the battle, uh, of the battlefield? And what does it do besides that? Well, the trust has many functions, but primarily it maintains uh, two Civil War, very important Battle of Nashville sites that it owns, Readout 1 and Shies Hill. And then we interpret and uh, promote the battlefield, promote the history of Nashville uh, with the battle, and we try to tell all sides of it, uh, giving the facts. So I've been to Antietam many times, been to Gettysburg, been to Chickamauga. When I first got to Nashville, I would, you know, if a person comes to Nashville, first of all, they're, they're more than likely going to want to go see the honky tonks. And if they're into Civil War history, they can also go 18 miles south and see the Franklin battlefield, which has been parts of that have been saved over the past 
10 or 15 years. You come to Nashville and a visitor, what's it, what can a visitor see here? Well, and not a lot, unfortunately. Uh, this Nashville is one of the largest battlefields of the Civil War, and at the same moment, uh, the least protected. The, the entire battlefield is almost 20 square miles. And put that in perspective, it runs river to river uh, from west to east on the Cumberland River and encompasses almost every yard, every property, uh, every street south of Nashville running almost all the way to Brentwood. So the battlefield is huge and it's all been developed, sadly. And if you come to Nashville for Civil War purposes, there's an excellent visitor center at Fort Negley, which gives you a prominent view of the city looking north and the battlefield looking south. And then you can get to the sites that we own and another little readout over in Green Hills, back tucked back in a neighborhood. And other than that, uh, you can wander for hours and hours without a map or with a map if you're a visitor, and you can't really follow the battle. It's a, it's a real tragedy, but uh, development happened, and once that starts, it doesn't stop, and the battlefield of yesterday is now very little left. But I will tell you and our listeners that Fort Negley is a real gem. And I've done some digging on the fort, not physically digging, digging for information, not Jim's a digger. But Fort Negley, I live about two, about a mile from Fort Negley. And it's great for a couple of reasons. One, now it's a city park. Number two, it offers a tremendous view of downtown Nashville. But that is an amazing story in and of itself, Jim, because I know that back in the 1960s, that was an area of, of Nashville that not too many people wanted to venture to. Can you speak to a little bit about how that place has been changed over the years? Oh, sure. I'd love to. Thanks, John. Uh, and it wasn't even in the 70s. It was even into 2000 that the place was rough. But Fort Negley is one of the largest inland forts in the United States. Uh, it was started construction in 1862 after Nashville surrendered uh, without a fight after Fort Henry and Donaldson fell on the Cumberland River. The United States Army rolled in and they found every African-American that they could find uh, free or slave or what they would call at the time contraband and put them at gunpoint and made them build this fort. And it was an oppression by the United States Army of people, some of which they had no right uh, to do this to. I don't believe any of them were paid. Many died. And this was the biggest of the numerous forts that were on every high ground surrounding Nashville from river to river uh, on the south side of town. So, Jim, if, if some of our listeners were to go to Fort Negley, what, what do you see there today? Well, there's a visitor center with uh, a great film in it, uh, maps, 
relics, artifacts, and you can see Fort Negley, uh, many photos of as it was during the time of the battle, which where it was the strongest fort on the uh, U.S. line with guns that could fire over two miles. And you go up uh, a really nice walking path around the top of the hill to the top of the fort, and uh, you can see the ruins of the fort, and unfortunately they are ruins. But it's up there, but you get a great view of, of Nashville. And all so, how, so how did it factor into the, the, the Battle of Nashville, Jim? Well, Negley was uh, in, an impregnable fort, and the Confederates knew it, and the U.S. Army and the artillery posted there knew it, and um, Negley was never attacked. It would have been a suicidal attack, but it was strength, and um, when the U.S. Army came to Nashville, they had its way with this city and they Nashville became the hub of operations and supplies uh, going into the South, supplying Sherman's army and all the campaigns through Chattanooga all the way to Atlanta. Nashville had to be safe and Negley was the key fort that protected the Union supply line. So Jim, why don't you give us uh, like when I moved here, I had, you know, I'm very into the Battle of Antietam, fully, fully aware of the uh, all the right flank and left flank maneuverings and all that type of stuff. And but the Battle of Nashville, I was very unfamiliar with until I came down here and I started digging into it. Why don't you give the listeners kind of an overview of the battle, which was a two day battle? It it was a two day battle, and it was. Um three weeks after the slaughter at Franklin, where uh, Hood's Confederate Army made a frontal assault on dug-in Union earthworks. The assault was larger than Pickett's charge at Gettysburg. The Hood lost perhaps 30% of his uh, army in a four-hour night fight at Franklin. The uh, U.S. Division retreated to Nashville after the battle. Hood followed and began digging in on December 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. And what Nashville is famous for is that it was in the most decisive battle of the Civil War. There was no other victory as complete as the Battle of Nashville. And it Although it did not destroy the Confederate Army, it rendered it combat ineffective, and this fight at Nashville essentially closed out the uh, major fighting in the South until uh, Johnston's surrender to the Army of Tennessee in uh, April of 1865. And, of course, the commander of U.S. Army forces in Nashville at the time was the Rock of Chickamauga, right? George Thomas, West Point graduate, overweight, didn't take care of himself, uh, was loved by his men, not trusted by Grant. Grant felt that he was um, 
not willing to make the attack on the Confederate Army. And as a matter of fact, Grant wanted and ordered that he be removed. And Grant was on a train to come to Nashville to relieve him of command when the attack started on the 15th after a terrible ice storm a couple of days before that froze the entire city and the landscape. And of course, our listeners, most of them, I think will know that Thomas was a native Virginian who stayed loyal to the United States government, of course. Um, So one of the aspects of the first day of the Battle of Nashville, Jim, that I find fascinating is that on the extreme left flank of the Union Army, there was an attack that included U.S. colored troops over by Raines's Cut, correct? That's right. The USCT, the United States Colored Troops, uh, were integrated into the U.S. Army, integrated in that they were in the U.S. Army, but they were not integrated with white troops beside them. They had distinct brigades, and all of their officers were white. And at Nashville, uh, it's a fascinating story because this is really the first major engagement where the USCT plays a role uh, in the fight. So tell us what happened out there. Well, the USCT was under the command of uh, General James, it spells Steedman, S-T-E-E-D-M-A-N, of course, I wasn't alive and didn't know him. Some people call him <laughs> Stedman. And uh, they were on the uh, far left of the Union lines coming out of the earthworks at Nashville and were ordered to attack down uh, Nolensville Pike through, I am convinced, uh, pathetic leadership by their officers uh, who led them directly into a Confederate uh, trap, so to speak. Now, I do know that there is a sliver, and I'm talking about a sliver of uh, preserved land out where the USCT attacked. And Jim, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. Granberry's Lunette, right? That is correct. It's named Granberry's Lunette because... Granberry, who died at Franklin um, in the month before the Battle of Nashville, the the brigades tended to keep the names of the previous commander. And uh, Granberry's men built and had sufficient time, a couple of weeks almost, to build a lunette, which is a small detached fort. And if you go over there today, the Sons of Confederate Veterans own that property and have protected it very nicely. And And, um, it stands today and is open to the public. Yes. And it's marked over there. There's a couple markers. I was out there a couple weeks ago. And, of course, Jim, there's the railroad that runs right close by the Granberry's Lunette and the black troops – Well, why don't don't you tell us what happened to the black troops during the attack there? Well, simply put, without getting into too much detail, the black troops attacked 
did not realize the location and the strength of the Confederate forces uh, going out Nolansville and Murfreesboro Pike. And they ran into a buzzsaw from the Lunette and artillery from Rains Hill. The, uh, the fight was a disaster for the U.S. Army. It was a disaster for the USCT. It was their first um, combat experience. These guys were, uh, there were many escaped slaves that had joined this uh, regiment. They were not trained as well as the regulars in the United States military. They had been, prior to the battle, put on railroad detail, uh, you know, digging earthworks, manual labor, and this was their first uh, combat experience. So with minimal training and training that did not meet the standards of the United States Army's white divisions, these guys were sent in under bad leadership into the buzzsaw, and it was a very costly attack which ended quickly, and this... uh, regiment was shot to pieces so jim this is more of a diversionary attack on the on the left flank of the union army right and that's a great point john it was a complete diversionary attack because the battle plan instituted by thomas still studied today by uh, scholars all over the world was going to be a wheel attack on the confederate right against the five separated forts called redoubts. So the diversion starts on the left with the USCT. They get butchered and the attack on the right throughout the day on the 15th is spectacular. Executed after some problems early in the fog, executed brilliantly thereafter. And of course, listeners, uh, you can see slivers of those redoubts uh, as Jim mentioned earlier, uh, uh, it, one is tucked in the neighborhood, Redoubt Number 1, which is preserved by our Battle of Nashville Trust, right, Jim? That's right. And w- what's that look like if, if somebody would go visit there? Well, if you go there today, there are original earthworks still standing. There are two replica cannons on site, and you go there today and you can see Uh, in the fall, all the way to downtown, and you can look to the east and see the terrain and a nice open view for miles that would have generally followed the Confederate line on the uh, first day of the battle. It's a really spectacular sight. Now, Jim, I'm a a fan of day two, and for for a couple reasons. One, Shies Hill is part of the day two battlefield and that is maintained by the battle of Nashville trust. Correct. How does that work Tim? That's correct. The battle of Nashville trust owns the lot that is at the parking area on Benton Smith. And we have a long-term lease with the Tennessee historical commission who obtained the top acreage in 1954 or 56 when that uh, subdivision was developed. And if you're going to, if listeners out there, if you're going to visit any spot there, well, there's two spots that I'm very partial to. 
One is Shy's Hill. Uh, and it's in a, like Jim said, it's in a residential neighborhood, but you can climb to the top. You have to be in fairly decent uh, condition to make it to the top. I was huffing and puffing up there the other day. But Jim, tell us about the fighting that took place at Shy's Hill. And you're very familiar with that neighborhood because you live pretty, fairly close by, right? Oh, sure. And I can see it from my front windows. Uh, Shy's Hill at the time of the battle was known as Compton's Hill because it was on the Felix Compton farm. And after the battle, the Nashvillians named it Shy's Hill in honor of Colonel Bill Shy, who was in his middle to late 20s who died defending that hill and it's taken that name ever since in the official records you will if it's not referred to uh, compton's hill you will see it mentioned by the commanders and the colonels and captains that wrote the battle reports as the conical hill and at the time it was looked like a cone and unfortunately our water department in the 1950s flattened the top of the hill to put a water tower up there, which we have since been able to take down. But it's lost its conical look because of um, government. Um, what's the right word here, John? Um, <laughs> progress or disaster. Pick, take a pick. I'll let you do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I find the site fascinating. And I also find when I drive through the neighborhood, I get somewhat sad. Uh, sort of like I feel when I drive on the Chancellorsville battlefield today, when you, when you go down the, uh, the old plank road and see a lot of development. And, you know, I was looking, what's it? Harding Place Road is where the, the Union troops swept. It was it was not Harding Place Road at the time. It may have been like a trail at the time. Union troops swept right across that that area right there, and and it's really it's hard to visualize. Well, it, you know, the entire battle. If you have not lived on the battlefield or studied it extensively, the whole place is hard to visualize. If you go to Granbury's Lunette. Because the railroad cut has been deepened and another cut added and roads added, it's virtually impossible to look at the Civil War maps and determine what's what in that area. And the same applies on day two in the battle. Uh, Battery Lane, which did not exist at the time of the battle, but is named for the batteries that were on both sides of it firing each other runs from Shy's Hill all the way over to Peach Orchard Hill and it turned it's also called Harding Place. And uh you drive down Battery Lane, Harding Place, you are right in the dead center of the two Confederate and US battle lines on December sixteenth, eighteen sixty four. One of the things I want to say, Jim, is that uh, I wrote about the, the, the hidden battle of Nashville in the February 2019 issue of Civil War Times. And in it, I noted that Jim Kay is blessed with, with Civil War vision. And you and I, uh, other people out there, could be looking at a house and maybe a yard. And Jim sees 
an area where troops camped in 1864. It's pretty, you're blessed with that, Jim. So, so good job there. Well, thanks. I, I've, I've walked this battlefield every day since we moved into Oak Hill in 1965 when I was five years old. And it's very easy for me to look at the land and amazingly not see the houses and the development and see the farmland and see the earthworks, which had been obliterated and see the fight. I don't it's know. If, I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse, John, because I, <laughs> I can't even drive through any neighborhood or to work and not think about it. You know, I'm starting to get that way too, Jim, and it's starting to scare me a little bit. I'm getting a little worried about that. Um, you briefly mentioned Peach Orchard Hill, and the other day, I think it was it was Monday. Um, uh, we were on some private property on Peach Orchard Hill where the 13th U.S. Colored Troops attacked. And for anybody who drives down, Franklin Pike is one of the, the main arteries uh, uh, in the Nashville area. It follows a, the wartime Franklin Pike. And the USCT attacked there up the hill. They suffered severe casualties. And we shot a couple videos out there the other day. If you want to take a look at those, those are on the Battle of Nashville Trust Facebook page. Check them out. But, but Jim, tell us about what happened there, because I was really moved by that. And it's hallowed ground, and probably 98.6% of the people in Nashville have no clue it's there. Well, it, it's a beautiful place. You cannot access it because it's all houses and private property. Um, but, John, at the time of the battle, it was known as Overton's Hill because it was less than a half mile from the John Overton home, which was Hood's headquarters during the Battle of Nashville. The Overton family called it Peach Orchard Hill because they had a peach orchard there. And the Confederate Army fell back to uh, that hill as their right flank on the night of December 15th, had ample time to fortify it. It's deep topsoil. They could dig these trenches deep, uh, put headlogs on them from trees that they could cut, and they put an abatee in front of the trenches which were on the military crest and it was a very high it's a it's a higher prominency there and they were defended they had excellent defenses with two batteries there the Eufaula battery and Stanford's Mississippi battery so when it came the fight came on the morning of the 16th when um the, the lines became parallel to each other. Stephen Lee, <clears throat> Lee, who was the Confederate commander, knew he had a very, very fine position. And the U.S. officers, 300 to 500 yards away and a little bit farther if you were a general, because the more stars you have, the bigger view of the battlefield you have. The U.S. Army knew it was a stronghold, too. What's important about Peach Orchard Hill and, and the Battle of Nashville is that this was the largest assault by the United States Colored Troops 
uh, I'm sure I cannot guarantee this, but in the entire Civil War. So few people know about that, not only in Nashville, but in those that study American history or Civil War history for that matter. And at Peach Orchard Hill, uh, Sidney Post, a colonel, a lawyer, uh, some of his men felt very strongly that he would do anything to get promoted to a general. Uh, he'd been wounded a couple of times in, in the war previously, and he was put in charge of the assault by General Wood. He rode up and down for an hour looking at this hill, deciding where to attack, and finally made the battle plans, which included the 1,200th and the 13th USCT troops, along with uh, white troops that were to the USCT's right. And all of this fighting was generally on the side of Franklin Pike that is east of it, uh, in between that and where the present day Interstate 65 mauls right through the old battlefield, unfortunately. And it was a really uh, amazing charge and a really amazing United States defeat on that hill. So there's just a sliver of land there that's undeveloped, correct, Jim? Well, every, every lot is developed, but there are some of these lots are two, three, and four acres. Uh, access to them by the public is unobtainable, but the trust, uh, as you know, we have access to private property to take a look at and film, and that's where we were the other day. Very, It was a very moving for me to be before i thought that was very that was really terrific so jim the confederates are routed at shy's hill they're routed at shy's hill and they're routed at shy's hill about an hour after the u.s troops both black and white are routed at peach orchard hill the 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 charge at peach orchard hill was desperate men were slaughtered by the hundreds the attack of the 13th USCT was the most notable historical attack because they came as wild men against the Confederate trenches and lost about 40% of their men, which uh, killed, wound, uh, killed and wounded, made them combat ineffective. So when Shies Hills collapses at 4 o'clock, the U.S. troops had gone back about 300 yards to their trenches in front of Peach Orchard Hill. The entire Confederate line collapses from west to east over two miles. All of a sudden, Wood sees his, uh, the divisions to his right charge, and he orders another charge by the same USCT troops as well as the white troops that were in that area and they take Peach Orchard Hill as the Confederates retreat. So what's John Bell Hood's reaction? And John Bell Hood was the command, overall commander of the Army of Tennessee, correct? Correct. John Bell Hood was right down the street from me at the, the Lee home watching everything happen, and he later wrote uh, in his memoirs that he had 
never seen a Confederate army melt away as this one did. Hood and his staff quickly galloped to Franklin Pike and hightailed it to Brentwood south of the uh, Harpeth River, just beyond the Brentwood Country Club golf course. And the Confederates uh, had a rear guard fight at Tyne Boulevard where some of the men that were on Peach Orchard Hill that were not captured were able to form a line and stop the U.S. troops from advancing for the evening. And Hood eventually ends up back in Alabama and then resigns his command, correct? Hood gets to Corinth, Mississippi, where Beauregard goes down and reviews the troops. Hood had sugar-coated the uh, catastrophic defeats at Franklin and Nashville to the Confederate government in Richmond, and Beauregard arrives and cannot believe what he sees. Hood then resigns, and what's left of that army eventually gets over to North Carolina and surrenders in April uh, with Johnston after Lee surrenders at Appomattox. So, Jim, you're passionate about this, right? (laughs) That's my passion. I'm sitting here in my uh, museum and library right now thinking I could be reading for weeks and weeks. I need to write more. I haven't found the time yet. And yet it's the critical word here, John. (laughs) Well, here's a a few more questions. Sure. Then I'm going to hit you up with a final question. But two quickies. Is there a map that, you know, let's say – Fred and and Sue from Pennsylvania and Ohio want to come here. Is there a map people can access for a driving tour of Battle Nashville sites? Absolutely. Go to our website. Uh, You can find that at Battle of Nashville Trust. Just Google Battle of Nashville. We'll show up up near the top on the Google search. Email us name address and we will mail you one and get it in the mail within 72 hours jim and and the email address is on the battle of nashville trust website that's correct yes excellent and then my other question before i hit you with my final one is if you want to read about this battle jim is there is there a good book out there that folks can read uh there are good books um embrace an angry wind also renamed as the Confederacy's Last Hurrah by Wiley Sword is one of the top books, as well as um, Nashville, the Confederacy's Final Gamble by our friend Jim McDonough. And then we've got uh, a new book by Mark Zimmerman, which has just been published here on uh, mud, guts, and cold steel, and he's got some really good things in that book, and I would encourage you to pick that one up and read it. It's a much shorter read than Sword's book, and I have read it and wrote the forward and contributed to that book, and I think the listeners, if they pick it up, will get a really good understanding uh, from Mark Zimmerman on this battle. And Listeners out there, uh, the Battle of Nashville Trust website is really excellent. Uh, it has terrific information there. Uh, can take you to nooks and crannies of the battle, uh, what's left of the battlefield. Very in-depth, so I highly encourage you, if you're interested in the Battle of Nashville, 
to go check that out. It's really good. Jim, I'm going to hit you up with a final question here before you go, we go. And this is kind of my standard question for uh, guests on John Banks' Civil War blog podcast. If you were to go back to 1864, Jim, to the Battle of Nashville, is there and could talk to one person, who would that be? And what would you ask him? Well, um, because I have artillery trenches in my side yard, there was a gentleman from uh, near Auburn, Alabama, where I went to college, and his name was Captain Stanton Dent. And uh, he was in my side yard with an artillery battery and uh, was able to get his guns out. Unfortunately, they just got stuck in the mud because the mules and horses Mules weren't strong enough to pull them, and he lost his guns. And I would like to talk to him about what he experienced where I live. I think that would be fascinating. And if you had one thing to say to John Bell Hood, what would you tell him? (laughs) How could you possibly have thought that you could have taken Nashville under any circumstances at that time of the war. I think that would be an apt question. Really good. Well, Jim, I wanted to thank you for this. This is really terrific, terrific information. You have been great. And again, for listeners out there, it's the Battle of Nashville Trust. It's a terrific website. Jim is extremely knowledgeable And I'd like to thank you for being on tonight. Really appreciate it. Well, I'm grateful. Thank you, John Banks. Take care. Have a good night. Good night.